Today on the Arts Report, we'll be talking about Vancouver International Dance Festival. We'll tell you about the Turning Point Ensemble's new Firebird 2011. Plus, we've got comedy, Buck Nasty Nights. We've got the National Theatre School on tour, plus tons more, so stay with us. Oh yeah, plus we're going to give away two tickets to a dance uh, show. So stay with us. Welcome to the Hearts Report for March the 2nd. I was just headbanging to the intro there and almost hurt my head. Um, it is March 2nd. You're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM as well. You could be hearing us on CITR.ca or in the future on the podcast form uh, via iTunes or other uh, podcast delivery systems that exist out there in the world. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and uh, I am feeling good and glad. Glad to be back in uh, the studio here. Last week we were uh, preempted for an exciting day of uh, live programming. And actually last week we still had some really, really cool interviews for you, two of which were for uh, the Vancouver International Dance Festival, which began yesterday and will be running for the next little while. And so if you uh, missed your Arts Report fix last week, or if you were wondering uh, through podcast, through your, through your iTunes, why there wasn't an episode last week, it wasn't because we were drunk here at the Arts Report and simply uh, slept in and forgot to put up the podcast. No, it's because we were preempted. So uh, luckily, though, you can get some of those amazing, lovely interviews. Um, you can get them on our blog at citr.ca uh, right now. You can find not only the information for features on uh, today's show, but uh, links to the three interviews um, from last week's show. Uh, you can get them right. Uh, last week's interview, you can get directly from the blog. You just hit, uh, you know, you click on it and it downloads and you hear it right there and then. And I highly recommend that because uh, they were really fun, fun interviews and a lot of cool insights uh, about dance, etc. Uh, so that was great. Now, we'd like to give you some free tickets on today's show, so please stay tuned. We'll do that uh, in about 20 minutes or so. Um, that will be for Deborah Dunn's show at the Vancouver International Dance Festival. Uh, but let me give you a little rundown of what we have on the show today. Uh, dancer and choreographer Joanne Pesusic drew on her experience of visiting Canadian troops in Afghanistan when putting together a sh her show called The Life Of, um, a dance show that's about a woman's life flashing before her eyes. So we'll find out about that. Also, the National Theatre School, based in Toronto, Ontario, is doing a cross-country tour to celebrate its graduating students. And we'll learn how they are a conservatory-style institution and how that makes NTS different. And we'll hear from one of their students, Samantha Wan, who got accepted to the National Theatre School a few years back and is now graduating when she was a high school student in Port Moody out in the suburbs of Vancouver. So that's exciting. She'll be, she'll be back in town showing off her, her talents. So that's cool. We'll also hear about a boundary-busting, unpolitically correct stand-up comedy event called Buck Nasty Presents. It's a re... Um, yeah, we'll hear about that. We'll also hear about a reinvention of Stravinsky's Firebird premiering tonight at the Colch. That's going to be exciting. Um, and uh, also we'll have young refugees uh, who tell their stories through comics uh, as well. We'll talk about how being a female flamenco guitarist in a male-dominated role is, uh, we'll talk about how that's uh, unique and special and exciting. Plus, uh, we'll tell you about women in film. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, we'll give you a report on uh, the comedy scene in Vancouver. Specifically, we'll give you um, a heads up of exciting and hilarious comedy events coming up in the next little while, as well as uh, a rundown of, of some things that um, have passed in the last little while. Give you the scoop on the improv and comedy scene in Vancouver. Yeah, so we got, we're just, man, we are just bursting at the seams with goodies, so we should just get right into it. We probably don't have time to talk about how much I hated the Oscars on Sunday and uh, what a boring and lame broadcast it was. And how sad it was that the Black Swan didn't win uh, Best Director. At least, at least Best Director, if not Best Picture. Come on, King's Speech, King's Speech. I mean, it was good, but was it, was it that good? No. But uh, the Academy is lame, so according to that uh, rule, 
if you are lame, you must pick um, semi-mediocre films to win. You cannot pick uh, really innovative films like Black Swan. So as per that rule, rule number one of the Academy, we are lame, um, they couldn't. They couldn't. They just couldn't. They weren't allowed to pick Black Swan. Right, but we don't have time to talk about that. <laughs> so let's get rolling. Uh, the Vancouver International Dance Festival will feature an innovative and out-of-the-ordinary flamenco performance under the artistic direction of Mariano Crusetta and the musical direction of composer-guitarist Caroline Plant. Crusetta will present La Confidencia, which is a celebration of the company's 10th anniversary. Arts Report correspondent Anna Garza talked to uh, Caroline Plant um, who talked about how the company's contemporary interpretation of flamenco opens the door to participating in international dance festivals like Vancouver's. Uh, but first, uh, she asked how La Confidencia is different from other flamenco shows, and this is what she had to say. The show is different in a way that, uh, for example, it starts with a, with a choreography that he did with electronical music, in 2002, because La Confidencia is the 10 years of his company, he has uh, different choreographies of past shows. So there's no story in the show. He just wanted to do a show with uh, confidences with the people that he, the, the people that he, mo he most worked with during those past 10 years. So it's more like a personal um, yeah, it's, performance. it's really personal and kind of intimate process. So the dancer that is coming to Vancouver is a, is a, one of his dance partners that he's working with this girl since they're 16 years old, you know. Oh, wow. Even before he had his company, they were dancing together in other companies. So it's a, it's a dancer that he's been working with for a long time, you know, so they really know each other dancing. So it kind of, it kind of helped to... Um, to, to send the message that he wants to send, no? that it's an intimate show talking about confidences and, 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 and intimate things, you know, between people. So that's one of the, that, that's one of the thing that is maybe different of the show because it's um, comparing to a traditional show, no? Yes. Um, it's more emotional in that sense. It's m maybe more emotional, but, and with less, uh, maybe the public will not see the same, um, the same cliches, if I can say, in other flamenco show, you know, it's really lively and a lot of people shouting, Ale! and you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. It's not like this. It's a bit more, um, a bit more calm environment because uh, he's not gypsy. You know, he doesn't like this fiesta part and whatever. For sure, there's some moments of the show that are lively and they're happy, but he never pretended to imitate uh, what there's uh, what there is in the fiesta for example for porbulerias of the gypsies because he's not you know what i mean so yeah he, it's 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 um some sort of evolution from uh, traditional flamenco exactly exactly for it for him it it was uh, for him no it was the best way to make it a bit more serious because he was all he wanted always to for his choreographies to be seen as serious and to be able to tour with them in dance festival and not just in flamenco festivals and uh how is this um a challenge or not for you um as a musical director for the show um as a composer well, as me, a guitarist it, it, it goes totally with my personality actually because uh the way I'm composing music, uh, Mariana and I, we've been together for six years now, and I've been working for this company for six years, too. And um, we kind of had this um, great encounter together because, uh, because uh, we're kind of similar in that way. Because, first of all, um, I never pretended to, uh, to play like a gypsy guitarist no, yeah. or whatever, but I've been playing something all my life since I'm six years old. And um, and for me, it's the music more than you know. I just wanted to make music, so to do the music for a show like that uh, with a person that is open as Mariano is, uh, it's kind of easier, you know, because um, he's using the music in the show that it really um, he puts the music in a good place, if I can say. You know, I'm not just I'm not strumming and just doing chords all the show. You know, I can. Yeah play a lot of melodies and 
And I'm, I'm doing kind of the, I'm, I'm trying to do with the music the same that he's trying to do with the choreography, you know, just tell the story. So when we put the two things together, well, it gives something quite uh, interesting, you know. So as a female guitarist, is this, has this been easy for you or do you have to look for uh, companies like Cruceta that uh, allow yeah. you to explore uh -huh. uh, your um, own musical well, vision? Yeah, I understand your question. Um, before coming to Spain, what I was doing in Montreal uh, was much more traditional because I wanted to say that before too, you know, before doing uh, something that is a bit more innovative or new or whatever people want to call it, you need to know all the traditional part you know, because it's not, it's quite of hard after to do to transform that now you need to know the traditional part so as as my time and all that part i did also learn all that first no yes so when i was in montreal i was doing all this traditional stuff and, and it's great too you know to to be able to learn that and um and even when i come when i came to spain the first time also i was also still learning that part But then, um, when you're a creative person, you need just to be, just to do a bit more sometimes, you no? Know? And that's what happened to me too. So uh, now in Spain, there's more and more uh, dancers and companies that are open to that with the music. But for sure, that the case of Mariano is a bit different because he's a musician too. You know, he's a percussionist, and he sees the music, uh, the 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 dance also as part of the music. But it's been hard for sure. It's been hard because the the the, the real uh, person who gave me an opportunity here is Mariano. You know, I don't think I would have been playing with somebody else seriously. Because they, you know, to hire a girl from Montreal playing, you know, it's a bit weird. <laughs> Mariano is a, peop a person that is risking all the time, no? And he doesn't, he's not afraid of trying new things and giving, he's really generous and he gives the opportunity to people. So I was really lucky to, to be able to meet him. Hmm. Sorry about the fade there. That was, um, that was Caroline Plant talking to... Uh, Anna Garza, our arts report correspondent who has some experience with flamenco herself. So, um, so was good to do it. It was good. It was uh, appropriate to have her as, um, as uh, the interviewer there. Um, all right. So, uh, Cruceta Flamenco's presentation of La Confidencia is coming to the Vancouver International Dance Festival from March the 10th until the 12th, and that's going to be at the Roundhouse Performance Center at 8 p.m. Tickets to this are $35 a regular, and for students and seniors, they are $28, and you can get them online at uh, vidf.ca. Um, right. Okay, well, that's, that's one of the two... Uh, dance festival features we have for you, and uh, we're going to move right along and tell you about the other one. The Source Dance Company is a professionals in training, quote unquote, dance company based out of Harbor Dance Center in Vancouver. That made it sound really shady there. Professionals in training, quote unquote. Now they will be uh, performing a new work called The Life Of, which is about a woman reflecting back on important moments of her life from beginning to end. Director of the Source Dance Company, Joanne Pesusic, tells us how this woman's life is explored through dance. And I throw a massive question at her about what this show has taught her about life. Yes, I went there. But first, we got to the bottom of this professionals in training, quote-unquote, and what that means. Well, it's not a school per se. We're a dance company, and it's a training company. So uh, we have dancers from all across Western Canada that audition to be part of the company each year. And it's designed for those up-and-coming dancers that are really at the top of their field in terms of a competitive and amateur level, and they want to make dance their career. Okay. So um, it's really some of the best of the best dancers that audition and get into the company. Mm -hmm. And um, the purpose of the company is just to continue training them in as many different styles of dance as possible and giving them connections within the industry with um, choreographers from all over the country and Los Angeles and everything. So they get really good networking possibilities and training as well. Cool. So it's very hands-on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, let's get to this show, uh, The Life Of. And it's about uh, the life of a woman from birth to death. First of all, how many people are in this show? 
Uh, well, there's 27 dancers in the company. Yikes. We have five guys and 22 girls. Uh-huh. And the show, The Life Of, it's based on the premise of um, the whole idea of your life flashes before your eyes, just before you die. Okay. So it's based on a woman who may or may not be dying, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's having just these life flashes of, of memories from her, her entire life on Earth. Wow. And, and is the entire, the entire class is, uh, is in it? Uh, the whole company is in the show, yes. Um, Sorry, obviously, company. Some, some pieces have less dancers than others, but, uh, yeah, they're all in the show. Cool. And, and I just wonder how um, it, it sounds like it's, there are specific uh, events in this, in this woman's uh, life. I just wonder sort of how literally that is uh, communicated through the dance, the, this woman's life. Ah, right. Well... The beauty of dance is that it's open for interpretation. Right. Um, we have many, many different choreographers have contributed to this um, work so far, and some of them are quite, you know, the storyline is quite obvious, and other is a lot more um, contemporary. A lot of the contemporary numbers are very open for interpretation, so it's it's kind of got a bit of both. <laughs> wow. So, so do, do I understand it then that sort of uh, different events of her life are sort of to told through different styles and different, uh, and different dancers? Exactly. Ah, yeah. okay. And, and I just wonder, working on this piece, how has it ma made you reflect on uh, life and if there's any sort of um, lessons um, that you've sort of taken away just by working on this piece? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I would say, I mean, definitely when it comes to thinking about what you want to choreograph for something such as this, you obviously pull on some of your own life experiences and that kind of thing and try and think of what's been the most memorable times for you on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I personally have only choreographed one number for the company so far, and it's just one of our um, commercial-friendly numbers, but... Um, the number that I'm going to be working on does actually draw from my life experience. We um, went over to Afghanistan, and we entertained a lot of the troops over there a couple of years ago. So we were right in Kabul and sort of experiencing life as a soldier does, so that was really great. And I'm going to be setting a piece about that, just about a woman who's able to travel to entertain and sort of help out our troops overseas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Well, we've quickly run out of time, but um, we look forward to the show, and, uh, and we appreciate uh, you taking the time to tell us about it. No problem. Well, thanks so much, and have a great day. All right. Uh, so the sources production of The Life Of is coming to the Blends Coffee Community Stage, um, which, as far as I know, is at, um, is at the Roundhouse. And uh, this is a free performance to VIDF members. Membership costs a $3 annual fee that provides entry to all Blends Coffee Community Stage performances. These are available at the door or included uh, in the price of the ticketed event. In this case, $0, so it's just available at the door. So if you buy the annual membership fee, you can get in to see this show uh, for free. All right, so uh, we want to give you some tickets to... A show. So get your dialing fingers ready, and I'm just going to tell you about uh, what it is that we're giving away. And once we go to commercial uh, or, or ad, ad break, then uh, that is your chance to, to dial and win these tickets. So we want to give you a pair of tickets to, it's called Trial and Eros, uh, Deborah Dunn from Montreal. Inspired by the recordings of Sir Alec Guinness reading T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, Deborah Dunn's choreography embraces Eliot's play of imagery and abstractions, and its lyrics and architectural style. She weaves through the musicality of Guinness's language, allowing the grace of her dance to meet the power of Eliot's words. So we want to give you a pair of tickets to this, which will be on March 8th uh, or March 9th. Uh, and that starts at 8 p.m. at the Roundhouse. So as soon as you hear the break, give us a call. Our number is 604 822 2487 that's 604 822 2487 and we'll give you a pair of tickets to Trial and Eros by Deborah Dunn. So uh, we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll turn tell you about Turning Point Ensemble's Firebird 2011. Right after this message which is coming to you as soon as the computer decides to do it. <laughs> 
The University of St. Eustatius School of Medicine is an accredited four-year medical school with graduates approved for residency and medical practice in Canada and the United States. They recruit students, not numbers, reviewing your entire profile, not just a single score. You're invited to attend an information session at the University of St. Eustatius School of Medicine's Basic Sciences and Clinical Medicine programs. Thursday, March 3rd, beginning at 5.30 p.m. in room 202 of the Hennings Building on UBC Campus, 6224 Agriculture Road. Located on the island of St. Eustatius in the Dutch Caribbean, the university is committed to educating future physicians in a student-centered learning environment of academic excellence at an affordable cost. That's Thursday, March 3rd, beginning at 5.30 p.m. in room 202 of the Hennings Building on UBC campus, 6224 Agriculture Road. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. The Turning Point Ensemble is one of Canada's most innovative chamber, chamber, chamber ensembles. They do chamber as well, but less often. Um, exploring old classics and charting new musical ground. They're doing both of these things with Firebird 2011, opening tonight at the Kulch. First, we get a new arrangement of Stravinsky's 1910 score for the groundbreaking ballet Firebird. Then, in the second half, it's a music-dance collaboration featuring composer Jocelyn Morlock and choreographer Simone Orlando. These collaborators dug deep into the original inspiring myths of the Firebird, which, at their core, are about the hero's journey, the quest. The resulting dance piece is called Luft, which means flight in German, and is described as, quote, a descent into the heart of loss, which yields the rising flight of acceptance. So here's Simone Orlando answering whether it's fair to say that this Firebird is hoping to be as avant-garde and progressive as Stravinsky's original. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really, we're definitely attempting to do that. Um, uh, we're, we're trying to leave the um, Firebird Ballet of 1910 behind and move forward with something that um, is sort of derived from uh, the sources of Firebird folklore um, and create something that is a little less fairy tale-ish and more um, sort of appropriate for the, the lives that we live today, um, and so yeah, Jocelyn and I have uh, sort of created our own new concept, a whole new story that uh, is quite a radical departure from the original. Interesting. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. How how do you go about doing that and sort of modernizing it and giving it a, a fresh face? So in this new production, um, it's about a 35-minute, 40-minute uh, piece, and it follows this protagonist who is sort of descending into recollection mm -hmm. or memory um, in order to um, resolve or, or let go of someone that he has lost. So it's really very much about, um, it's a quest, very much like the original Firebird Tales, but it's more a piece about self-discovery as opposed to, you know, the prince rescuing the princess and everyone lives happily ever after. So it's, um, there's very much, uh, we, we, we explore the idea of transformation and the idea of sort of spiritual awakening within the piece. Mm. And I think a lot of those ideas are very much attached to um, fire and, and fire being this... Um, you know, you can look at fire as being something that's about passion or renewal or, or purification. And so we took those kind of ideas and, and went with that. And we also kind of looked a lot at the, the myth of the phoenix and, and uh, what happens within that sort of cycle um, and tried to apply that within the story as well. I mean, we, we have um, the feather plays very heavily into this new piece. And in the original Firebird Tales, um, the, the feather served as premonition of a difficult journey. So okay. we've really used, tried to use it as, as a metaphor throughout the piece. Um, and sometimes it, it symbolizes hope. Sometimes it symbolizes actually death. So um, we've, we've sort of tried to do a twist on, <laughs> on, on kind of a, a number of different ideas, but it's really anchored by the idea of, of the structure of the monomyth. Hmm. And in terms of the, the look, mm. how close 
is it ballet? Is it completely modern? Is it something <laughs> in between? Can you uh, yeah, try I, to I explain I that? Yeah, I describe it as um, contemporary. I, I, my, my um, background. I mean, I, I was, I'm classically trained. I, I was, um, you know, I, I went to the National Ballet School, danced with the National Ballet, danced with Ballet BC for 12 years. So, I'm, I'm very much kind of rooted in uh, sort of a purist style, but it, mm -hmm. or a classical style, but um, this work is, um, there are, you, you can see the, sometimes the lines that come in through ballet and, and a little bit of, you know, external rotation, but for the most part, it's, um, it's nowhere near ballet. <laughs> so, um, it's way across and I, the and other I really side. tried to build on the ideas of um, sort of abstracting bird movements. Mm -hmm. and, um, really tried to use that as a way to kind of develop each character within the piece. So, for example, the, the protagonist who initially he starts off, um, he's very agitated, he's very much stuck in this one place, immobilized by sort of uh, loss and, and unable to move forward. And so was able to use kind of small twitching bird-like mm -hmm. movements to try to um, explore that idea of agitation. So, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, but and then again, like as far as the actual set goes and what, mm. what the piece actually looks yes. like, I mean, we it, because this, it's premiering in the Colch, it's it's a very uh, small, intimate venue, yep. and of course the orchestra is is sixteen musicians, and then we have five dancers. So there's a real need to kind of reinvent um, the space and the relationship between mm -hmm. dance and and the orchestra. So Alan Story, who's a um, Vancouver-based visual artist, has built this um, beautiful set that is tiered, and um, within it there's a big spiral staircase that is framed by the structure of a birdcage. Wow. And so the musicians are actually um, placed up in these tiers up above the stage. So they, when you, when you see the the piece they actually serve as a background and um, mm -hmm. Owen Underhill the conductor is actually going to be in the lighting booth Wow! <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting because it's I mean it, it, it's just very different like visually you don't ever see the orchestra sort of like you know behind the dance space they're usually down in a pit somewhere and, yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's really exciting that that they're actually there and part of the performance um, because it is you know the piece is very much about showcasing Turning Point Ensemble I mean they're the winners of the mm -hmm. Rio Tinto Alcan Award and of course Jocelyn Morlock the composer um, you know she's created an absolutely amazing piece of music for um, these musicians um, and her her music, you know, in no way does it really reference, um, you know, the original ballet. But of mm -hmm. course, the, the first half of the program will be an arrangement of by Michael Bushnell of the original. Oh, I see. Thanks so much for taking some time to uh, to tell us about it. No problem. And break okay. legs. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Are you are you allowed to say break legs for a dance piece? I don't know. I feel like that might be um, kind of. Uh, too much bad luck. So so much good luck is bad luck. But uh, I said it there, and I'm sorry if that's uh, that's bad. Uh, Simone Orlando there talking about Firebird 2011, which is uh, beginning tonight. Big opening at the Cult, the historic theater at the Cult, and will be running for a few days, but only until the fifth, only until Saturday at 8 p.m. every night. Tickets to this are $28, and you can get them from the Cult website theculch.com or from our website citr.ca that has links to this feature and uh, tickets to uh, an event pages for all of the events that uh, we are featuring on today's show so uh, check out our blog there now uh, we're not going to take a break yet we're going to tell you about Buck Nasty Nights uh, then after the break we will talk about the National Theatre School's Revealing Talent Tour and actress Samantha Wan straight from Port Moody and uh, back in town now from Toronto to showcase that we'll tell you about um, comics uh, using comic comic art comic book art graphic novel art to um, to allow healing for young refugees and we'll get a comedy report. We'll get a report on the comedy scene 
in uh, in Vancouver with our very own correspondent Dave Samich. And at the very end of the show, if we don't run out of time, we will talk about women in film. And that's a festival coming up uh, this weekend, too. But first, on March 8th, Buck Nasty Presents is premiering a provocative comedy showcase at the Biltmore Cabaret. Local comics and founders Ali Hemraj, Jesse Reed, and Ryan Mutama say they are, quote, fed up with the over-PC-ness of Vancouver audiences and comics alike. End quote. And they want to spice up the scene with a mix of amateur and professional comics, a live DJ, prizes, and even a buck nasty cocktail that you can order up at the bar. So Ali Hemraj and Ryan Mutama popped into our studios with a headliner for this uh, March 8 event, Dino Archie, all the way from Los Angeles. And we talked about the need for comics to push boundaries and about, uh, we talked about trusting audiences to handle controversial material. But uh, to start us off, um, here's Ryan explaining what it means to be fed up with PC-ness. And I have to warn you just before we go that uh, there are, are a multitude of F-bombs, S-bombs, and other uh, alphabet bombs uh, all over this, this interview. So if you have children with sensitive ears or ear infections, get them out of the room right now um, because here we go. Well, when it comes to audiences, there's a lot of, like, uh, like you can tell a joke on stage, right? You can tell a joke that says nigger in it. And if the audience, you know, like, it, it doesn't matter how funny that joke is. If the if word says, if there's nigger in it, it's like, okay, uh, we're not supposed to laugh at that. Look around the room. Uh, maybe yeah. there's a black guy in the audience. We don't want to be caught <laughs> laughing at that joke, yeah. right? Let's not laugh at that. Just to be safe, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's what ends up happening. And basically what we want to do is provide an arena where people can, uh, we're free to say whatever they want to. In, as long as it's funny, right? right. You know, yeah. we don't want anybody going up and spewing hate speech, right? But mm -hmm. if you need to say nigger or you need to say faggot in a joke, right? And you were trying to make a point and you got you got a spin on it, something to say about it, then do that, right? Mm -hmm. Go ahead and do that by all means, right? And there's a lot of, um, when it comes to comics, there's a lot of that, oh, the PC-ness, you can't say that on stage because of the audiences. Or I don't know what mm -hmm. it is. Is it is it is it's, it the chicken or the egg? I don't know what's, yeah, it's what like it is. Comics in the city, yeah. they forget, like, we're all in the business we're of comics, free speech. Exactly. We can't yeah. tell each other what we keep saying, not in the context of funny. We can any, we can say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you sink and, you know, they're like, that wasn't funny at all, and you sink, right? Yeah. But just take a chance, you know. But they never take a chance. No. Right. right. And uh, before yeah. we went on air, you were saying about uh, trusting your audience and, and trusting them to, to, to handle something yeah. racy like that. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's um, a lot of the thing is when it comes to comics is giving the audience the benefit of the doubt, right? And that's a lot I see with uh, with comics that take risks on stage. Um, they give the audience the benefit of the doubt, right? And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think if you give, if you just take that risk, then you become a better comic because of it, right? Mm. I mean, like Ali's got a lot of stuff that's over the top, right? But he takes that risk, right? And the audience. I've seen him do amazingly well. The audience is just like, you know, like cheering his name. And I've seen times where the audience is just like, uh, uh Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah there's know? been times where, yeah, I got like yeah. an innovation or like a group, like a cult of people that are like just following me around. And then there's times where I've been escorted out of buildings, like rooms. <laughs> exactly. Like, never to be uh, asked yeah. back. Exactly. And that, but, that's what ends up happening. You know, it's like, it was like, I mean, I'm not embarrassed anymore. There's no shame. I'm like, just try it. I took a risk. I'm like, oh, I'll know. I'm like, oh, that joke didn't work. All right. Was so, it not funny or was it just not maybe I'll make it, I'll write it, rewrite it or something, or, you know. So is this why you brought Dino in? Yeah, that's why Dino's in, because Dino, yeah, I mean, we hand-selected everybody that's in our first show, right? And Dino's in because, you know, he's a he's that guy. He's just like, I don't fucking care. It's, I, I, think it's yeah. I think it's funny, so I'm going to say it. It's like, oh, it's not, uh, well. I appreciate, you yeah. know, you know the funny thing is, I, is I think if you do care, you do it. If you do yeah. care, you do, you care enough to, like, be on that limb take that risk you yeah. know make that you know put put yourself in a position where people got to say well, I don't know if I like this or maybe I do mm -hmm. you know cuz I I care I do give a shit about it I care you know if, if it doesn't get a laugh or if it exactly. does but I care more about what I if people came to see you especially this show they come and they pay however much money it's like I owe it to them Mm -hmm. To do something that you know they're gonna remember, you know, to Not, get out of your comfort to zone. To get out of my comfort zone, the way they know, okay, this guy. But then you know, I've been doing it uh, enough, long enough. I do it well, so where you could trust me, you know, mm -hmm. you could trust me with it. I, but I do agree with the guys about the PC ness of B, of of VC yeah. and of, of Vancouver, and uh, I like it. And I, I was telling you this earlier about yeah. 
how it was. I went into a place, you know, I, I did a show, and I'm usually the only black guy in the show. That's kind of how it is yeah, out here. Yeah, so works. And everyone <laughs> treats you nice, and it's cool. And so they're like, oh, don't say anything <laughs> to offend the black guy, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, trust trust me, I'm good, right. you know? Yeah. So I go in there, and, I, and it was cold. It was freezing outside. So I go... I said it's racist cold outside. Like, it's cold enough to where if you said some racist shit and I heard it, I'd let it slide, you know, until the summertime at least. Like, <laughs> if you were trying to get inside somewhere and you opened the door, you got inside finally and you were thawing out, you go, oh, nigger, do it's cold outside. I'd be like, hey, I heard that. I'll fuck you up in the summer or something like that. I, and, every, you know, and it was like, okay, cool, this guy, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be yelling that out. That's mm-hmm. not, but on stage in that, in that setting to take some words that might be charged, might be powerful, take the power out of them, put the comedy there, have mm-hmm. a punchline. You walk out, maybe you, you say, oh, man, that, that was a funny show. That mm-hmm. was a good experience. And that's what I, that's why I took the show with these guys. I like this style, and that kind of fits with what I do. Cool. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's going to be, give us a sense of the night. Uh, there's going to be some surprises. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, racy humor. What's, what's oh, going to yeah, happen? Oh, yeah, definitely, on? man. We got, uh, we got, the thing is about uh, Buck Nasty is that we actually got comics of all styles, right? Mm. The thing yeah. is, he's got uncensored comedy for those who will, or who want to do uncensored or for those whose style it is, right? We got comics that aren't over yeah. the top, right? We got a couple comics that aren't over the top, and um, we do have comics that are very over the top, right? Mm-hmm. And we got comics that are in between, right? Mm. And um, yeah, when it comes to the, we got a live DJ afterwards, right? So we got something, you know, people just want to stay around and chill and hang out, you know? That's that we, by all means, we implore that, you know, definitely come down and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got, yeah, we'll be prizes. Um, we're gonna try and hand out a, a Buck Nasty mixtape uh, featuring songs that inspired <laughs> us to do this comedy <laughs> show, right? Nice. nice. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, all kinds of uh, you know fun all little kinds of nasty little. <laughs> and um, okay, and those are the folks from Buck Nasty Nights who um, made just about every kind of uh, swear word and um, and racial slur that could possibly be uttered in one radio interview, and they did it. Wow, I'm still recovering from that. It reminds me of uh, the f bomb that um, actress Melissa Leo dropped at the Academy Awards on Sunday, which was the only interesting moment of that entire broadcast. Um, but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about uh, having watched the entire Oscar ceremony and being bored to tears. Uh, no, not bitter at all. Okay, so Buck Nasty Nights is coming March eighth. And that is a Tuesday, and um, the doors are open at 8 p.m. Show begins at 9 p.m., and this is happening at the Biltmore Cabaret. Tickets are $5. You can purchase them at the door. Some of the comedians that are included um, are Dino Archie, which you heard in the interview there, as well as Ross Doc. I hope I pronounced that right, Scott Patey, Shane Clark, Jesse Reed, Ali Hamraj, which was in the interview. Uh, let's see, Drew, Drew Carey, really? Oh, no, Dino Archie has worked with comedy, I should really read this beforehand. Uh, Dino Archie has worked with comedy legends Drew Carey and Eddie Griffin. Right, if you want to get more information, uh, you can go to the Facebook pages for uh, Buck Nasty Presents, which is facebook.com slash bucknastypresents, or you can also look up Dino Archie's Facebook page and friend him and, and write him, uh, a personal message, you can do that at facebook.com slash Dino Archie, D-I-N-O-A-R-C-H-I-E. Or if you didn't understand any of what I just spelled, just go to citr.ca, and there you can find links to that. All right, we will finally take uh, a break, and when we return, we will tell you about the National Theatre School's Revealing Talent Tour. Are you interested in radio but not quite sure how to get involved? CITR is the place for you. We are a volunteer-driven campus and community radio station with a variety of volunteer opportunities. Want to become an on-air programmer? Learn about promotions? Maybe become a news or arts reporter? Come learn about all the ways you can become involved at CITR. Volunteer orientations are held on the first Monday of every month at 6.30 p.m. If the first Monday falls on a statutory holiday, the orientation moves to the second Monday. Visit citr.ca for more information. Hey, and we're back on the Arts Report uh, here on CITR, 101.9 FM or citr.ca. 
A. Uh, by the way, you can subscribe to the Arts Report podcast. You can do that by going to our website, citr.ca. And you can also subscribe there on our page to our Twitter feed. And there you can get a heads up on uh, interviews that are, are coming up on the show and heads up on events um, that are happening in the city in the next coming day. So that's cool to have in your Twitter feed. Get us in there. Uh, all right. Acting student Samantha Wan was thrust out of her high school theater classes in Port Moody and into the National Theater School, or NTS, three years ago. Now she and her fellow graduating class are touring the country with a collection of monologues. The Revealing Talent Tour will hit Vancouver on March the 5th. I spoke to Samantha about how NTS brands itself as a conservatory, conservatoire, rather than just a school, and what that means, and about the six days a week of specially tailored student-focused curriculum programming that, uh, that she is subjected to every week. All of which, um, all of which sounds pretty amazing for, uh, for a Port Moody girl to be a part of, but probably by now, after three years, it's all pretty ho-hum and ordinary for Sam, isn't it? Actually, I would say that there's pretty much no time at NTS that's even allowed to be a ho-hum kind of day. Even for my first year, it's um, a six days a week kind of program where you start at 8.30 in the morning, yep, and you go till about 9 p.m. with like an hour off for lunch, an hour off for dinner. So that's Monday through Saturday. Sorry? Yes, Monday to Saturday. Yikes. And then we have Sunday off to kind of frantically do our laundry and buy our groceries. <laughs> to, to deal with the rest you of know. your life. Yes, be, be somewhat human beings wow. for, for the rest of the week, mm-hmm. for sure. And, like, the way it works is in the mornings we have what are considered our core classes, which are voice classes and classes and with like fantastic teachers and then the really great part is in the afternoons they'll bring in a teacher from outside who is actually a professional in the acting world Mm -hmm. to to teach us something for probably five weeks like usually in first year you'll start off with coursework and then you move into story and Mm -hmm. it and the great thing about um about the school is that at NTS, there is no set curriculum. Really? No. It's actually very specific to the your students. class and oh my to God. who you are. So it's tailored like to the individual students? Yes. A hundred percent. So so like you're never you're always kept on your toes. First of all, like I have no I what I what I no idea what I'm doing week to week. <laughs> like every every Monday I go to this bulletin board that tells me, Here's your schedule for the week. No way. Like, I, I can never predict what I'm going to do um, the each each week. So you don't you don't that. get a you don't get a textbook where you can just uh, study ahead for the whole term and uh, and have all all your materi- materials read and just check check the back of the book for your answers. <laughs> oh my God! If someone has that textbook for acting, <laughs> please give it to me. Um, no, um, I don't think I've ever had a textbook in my life, even in my theater history courses. Yeah which are so different, it's this wonderful woman named Sue Williams who we sit down, and basically she doesn't even have a textbook. She just sits down and she talks about theater history. Like, because there are no grades with, with the school, it's mm-hmm. really actually all up to you and your own learning. Oh, my God, that sounds incredible. It's, now, it's pretty great. And is that what makes it, because um, I read in the press release that that uh, the National Theatre School is one of the only conservatories um, in the world for for theatre disciplines. Is, is that what, uh, that's what the heart of it is? Is that it's sort of, uh, it's very sort of tailored and unique and non-graded? I would say, at, at least for NTS, um, it's, it allows, because it's a conservatory, it's very tailored. I think the difference is if, um, if you go to a conservatory, like I won't graduate with a with a BFA, mm-hmm. um, but I'll have a I will have a, a certificate from the National Theatre School, which is good enough for me. And in the acting world, you know, that's <laughs> it's more connections and the people you meet that tend to matter. Right. It's very um, it's very kind of uh, practical in terms of yeah. it, it's about sort of it's career focused and and t- 
to that end, you are now doing this tour um, and, and um, sort of showcasing uh, this tour that's showcasing the, the graduating students and, and meeting with, um, with agents. Yes. Um, the tour that we're doing right now is based off of a showcase that we did in Toronto called the Theatre Ontario, where each student did two monologues, a classic and contemporary, for a bunch of agents. And so what we've done now is we've whittled it down to 25 minutes, so each each of us is doing one monologue instead. Mm-hmm. And then we're touring that across Canada. Right. And it's, ha- and it's happening before, like, another show. Right. So in uh, in our case, it'll be at the Arts Club uh, just before Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on March 5th, and people who can people who are going to the show can come early and see, uh, see you guys perform. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. So what will you be doing? Um, my piece yep. specifically, um, I'll be doing a piece from As You Like It, Shakespeare's As You Like It, and I'll be playing Rosalind. Okay. Um, yeah, it's actually a role that I guess I'm rephrasing a role that I, I did at school. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be doing a, a monologue from Rosalind talking to Phoebe, kind of scolding her okay. about, about how poorly she's treating her lover, Sylvius. And uh, and where will we see you next? Will it be in a movie on TV or what? Um, I'm hoping to to stay in theater for a little bit. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of theater. I'm I'm trying to look into a bunch of big companies in Toronto right now, mm-hmm. and then eventually I think I'll bridge into film and television. But right now I think my heart is is still deep in theater. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, we look forward to seeing you here in Vancouver, your, your uh, glorious, triumphant return to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for telling us about this. Thanks, Adam. And that's Samantha Wan of the National Theatre School in Toronto coming uh, back to Vancouver on uh, March the 5th at uh, approximately 7 p.m., and that's going to be the Arts Club on uh, Granville Island, the Granville Island stage. And this is a free event, and uh, anybody can can check it out, whether you're going to see Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or not. So that's great. And the other graduating students uh, beyond uh, Samantha are... um, Aishan Dave, Brett Donahue, Matthew Donovan, Katie Grabstas, Curtis Henschel, Sophie Holdstock, Adrian Morningstar, Philip Nozuka, Andra Ordolis, Hugh Portman, and Jackie Rowland. And you can see all of their lovely work um, then. Great. Okay, so I wanted before we move on, I wanted to um, give you a heads up of some of the stuff we will have on uh, next week's show. And uh, we'll be continuing our coverage of the Vancouver International Dance Festival with features on Kambata and T42, two dance companies that are going to uh, wow us in the coming weeks. And also, uh, this ha- we haven't conver- confirmed this yet, but uh, we're working to get the British Columbians to, uh, to perform, not only do for an interview, but to uh, perform an acoustic song. They'll be playing at the Cobalt uh, next, uh, next Friday, I believe. Let's see, 9, 10, 11, yes, uh, next Friday. So uh, we're working on securing an interview with the British Columbians. So that's going to be very exciting. Now then, uh, back to the show. The Canadian Red Cross and the Vancouver Public Library present an interactive evening that explores the unique experiences of refugee students and some of the myths surrounding refugees today. It's called A Story to Tell and A Place to Tell It. And along with several speakers, the night will showcase artwork done by young people who arrived in Canada as refugees. By artwork, I mean comics created entirely by the teenagers exploring their experiences as refugees. As you'll hear from um, as as you'll hear from Alejandra Lopez, this um, who is one of the art project's uh, cl- uh, creators, it was as much about the experience of reflecting on their traumatic experiences and the celebration of their individuality as much as it was about showing off the final product. Here's Alejandra talking about where the idea of healing and expression through comics came from. Well, it came, it was hosted by a francophone community center called La Busol that gives services to a 
francophone speakers to find employment and find housing and dif different things. Mm -hmm. But it was a group of people. Among them was Pascal Nesquera, which is also a re came to Canada as a refugee from Burundi. And she was an employee at La Busol and a professor from UBC called uh, Pilar Riaño, among other people, that uh, they experienced through their work that there was a gap of services and spaces for youth, for refugee youth. And it's already difficult for teenagers, wherever they are, to uh, adapt and to feel comfortable with who they are. Mm. And uh, refugee and immigrant youth face those already those challenges, plus uh, coming to a completely different cultural setting, mm. uh, leaving everything away, maybe family members, right. uh, the weather, <laughs> their food, <laughs> and uh, they are not able to speak the language mm -hmm. they go to school and they just feel different so it's like you know teenagers have enough uh, enough troubles as it is in a way these kids are sort of double teenagers or have have double adolescence because i of agree these and 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 they probably are like really mature because of the uh, different things that they faced right it makes them grow up faster exactly because of the things uh, the reasons of why they had to leave flee their countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what exactly happens? Because like you say, there was something missing. There was something missing for the for these kids to, to help them adapt. And so this idea comes along to use uh, comics. What, what happens? What is it in the process? And, and what, what is the outcome? What is it that they, these kids do in these comics that helps them um, adapt? It's a, a, we chose a comic as a media to address a isolation, language barriers, to build a confidence and build leadership skills, because we thought that we aimed to support youth that were in the process of adapting and that they didn't speak the language, but there was this need for them to tell their stories of their journey, mm -hmm. to feel confident with like the cultural difference that they brought and feel proud of them as well, mm -hmm. and be able to integrate instead of assimilate mm. to to this place so i right. thought like illustration is like a universal language mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to uh, communicate with words mm -hmm. so it was a, a sto and storytelling as well because it's about both like using art mm -hmm. and using storytelling techniques to mm -hmm. be able to heal and feel more empowered and it was the process as well that was a big part of it it wasn't necessarily the outcome of you know get this comic finished it was the the making of it that was Therapeutic, would you say? Exactly. It was a, it was a hard balance because we pair them with comic book artists that they had this artistic uh, awareness and they were really focusing on the outcome and producing the comic right. and the kids learning how to do very good comics. But for us, the organizers was also about how through the process they build friendships, they mm -hmm. feel they reflect on their identity mm -hmm. uh, and feel that they can they belong. Even being different, actually, the difference would be so enriching for their communities and feel like th that their self-esteem was strong, mm -hmm. no matter that they have accents or that yeah. they look different. Cause yeah, it's so exciting. They're, that their differences and all the things that make them unique culturally is something to be to be celebrated. Yeah, to be and, celebrated, and exactly. Not to be forgotten or or, or hidden. Yeah, yeah. So the process was the um, like for me was the main focus because mm. it was about like how they felt and the transformation that they go through while telling their story and drawing. Okay, now we're quickly running out of time, but I, I do want to ask you, um, uh, what will people see at uh, A Story to Tell, um, especially with these comics? Will people get to see them? Yeah, they were going to be uh, um, exhibiting at the room where the symposium will take place, which is going to be very interesting. <laughs> There's going to be lots of activities and speakers, but the uh, uh, comics are going to be... I'm going to be handing out comics, and the, the exhibition, the original ones, are going to be laid out across the room so that people can l see and learn mm -hmm. through from these youth. Great. And can you quickly uh, speak to what else is happening? Um, yeah. Uh, there's going to be... Um, there's going to be a refugee youth from that is studying at UBC that came through the program to, through the WASC program, the World University Service Canada, sponsored by the government, and she's going to tell her story. And there's going to be an activity that will be interacting with the audience 
to be more aware about what refugees go through. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, there's going to be other organizations that give services to refugees Excellent. here in Vancouver. Great. Well, this, is a, this sounds like a great um, uh, journey and, mm -hmm. uh, and, a, and an interesting product. So thanks so much for uh, telling us about it today. Thank you for having me. And that's Alejandra Lopez talking about a story to tell and a place to tell it, which is coming March 7th to the Vancouver Public Library. That's the, the big central library, uh, the Alice McKay Room, to be specific. Admission is free, but seating is limited, so get there early. Uh, and you can get more information on this by um, going to our website, citr.ca, and you can find the, uh, the link to the event page for this to get a little more info on, uh, on the speakers and, um, and what will be presented. So check that out. Now we're going to take a quick little break, but when we come back, we're going to speak to Arts Report correspondent Dave Samich, and he's going to give us a report on the comedy scene in Vancouver. So stay with us. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground, Thursdays, noon to one. Okay, there is a plethora of comedy and improv shows buzzing in Vancouver right now, and our comedy correspondent, Dave Samich, is covering the beat. Hello, Dave. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? Fantastic. So what shows uh, have you seen? Well, uh, I've been going, I go to a lot of shows every week, and last mm. week I went to uh, a show in Richmond. It's called at Industry Bar. It's a new room, and uh, it's picking up steam. It's pretty much the only show in Richmond you can go to. Art Factora, he's a local pro, and he started it. It's really funny, and Kevin Fox headlined. But uh, the Monday, I was, or there was the Corner Pub on, on Davie Street, and things got a little bit rowdy at that show. Things got a little um, bit rowdy. What, what does that mean? What happened? Well, uh... Phil Hanley, was, uh, he's a local pro, and he's very funny, and he absolutely crushes hecklers. So this <laughs> drunk guy, I guess, went up on stage and like, tried to take the mic from Phil. Okay. So he had to be like, uh, stopped by several of the other comics, and he was like, so drunk, he like, tried to headbutt Phil <laughs> Henley. What? Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. But uh, I heard the show was pretty entertaining. And then a, a totally separate drunk guy mm -hmm. came up later in the show, and he was yelling. They had to kick him out, and then he accidentally wow. grabbed the wrong backpack. And then the comics were like running off stage, like chasing down the street because you could see him walking down. It was, pretty, but it was actually a really entertaining and funny show. Wow. Yeah. Well, just that alone sounds pretty entertaining. That doesn't happen all the time. That that rarely happens. I should specify. They don't do that every week. No, that's not. It's not rush the stage night at the corner. <laughs> every Monday, rush the, rush the stage night. Okay. Um, so what's happening uh, for the rest of uh, this week? Well. Uh, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursdays are busy nights in comedy in Vancouver. Vancouver's a great... I just want to say before we yeah, start... please. Please go to stand-up comedy. It's the best entertainment <laughs> you can get for five bucks. So half the shows are free or five bucks. It's way better than a movie. Um, there's not often good bands playing, and uh, it's, it's a good time. So uh, tonight, there are several shows going on. In Kits, you can see comedy at Corduroy's. That starts at 9. It's on Cornwell. And uh, that will be a good show because Sonny Dollywall is headlining, and he's a local Vancouver guy, and he is going to be big. He's gonna, uh, he's, I'm pretty sure he's going to be filming a Comedy Now special in uh, the next six months. And uh, this other dude, Paul Bay, is emceeing, and he's a bit of a douche, but he's the funniest douche I've ever seen. <laughs> As far um, as douches go, he's pretty funny. He's hilarious. Okay. And he's a self-acknowledged douche. I'm allowed to say that. Right. Um, and there's the Mystery Bar, which is the best room in Vancouver, but I can't tell you about it because too many people go already. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I will well, drop why, hints. Why do, you, why do you tease us this way? Because I will drop hints from week to week. <laughs> and if you can find this bar, it's the gold mine of Vancouver. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. So you have to stay tuned to the it's like, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a local, like, uh, all the pros from Vancouver go there, and they try, like, new stuff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always really fun. And uh, also tonight, there's the Hennessy, and that's on Broadway. It's about two bus stops past... Uh, Candleline. So if you just jump on the back of the 99, it's free. No one even two checks your tickets. Two bus stops uh, west, like toward UBC yeah. of the Candleline. No, no, no. Two bus stops east, so oh. you go past it. Okay. So you just jump on the 99 for free because no one checks your ticket. <laughs> go to the show. Five bucks. Jump back on the 99 for please, free. Please don't encourage people to steal <laughs> transit on my show, please. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Go on. I didn't even know you had to pay. <laughs> just, just get on with it. And then uh, this weekend, um, the bigger, sh- the bigger clubs, uh, the Comedy Mix and Laugh Lines. Comedy mm-hmm. Mix is on Burrard downtown, and Laugh Lines is in the West. Right. Uh, Comedy Mix has Kyle Kinane from LA, and Comedy Mix is a great room because they get uh, like. Uh, international pros mm. come in every week, which is awesome. Kyle Kinane, I had never seen before, but I looked him up online, and he has an awesome beard, and <laughs> he is quite hilarious. Well, from that what guarantees I saw. that he's funny, then. I know. <laughs> Beards equal funny, <laughs> equal humor. Yeah. And laugh lines. Uh, Kevin Fox and Jane Stanton. Jane Stanton is the funniest female I've ever seen. I'm actually. I'm dropping that title on her. Okay. And if improv is your thing, you can check out Theater Sports on Granville Island. The weekend shows are a bit pricier, though. I might. Uh, they're about 15 to 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. So cheaper on the weekdays. Yeah, that's the best Best nights to go are Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. Oh, tomorrow, I forgot to say, tomorrow at the Kingston, mm-hmm. there's been an eight-week competition, and it's the finals tomorrow. So you get the top uh, ten comics from eight weeks and uh, it should be pretty good. That's only so five that's, bucks. That's five bucks. That's happening tomorrow, and that's the Kingston, which is on uh, Richards. Richards between Georgia and Robson. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay, and we're running. We've run out of time, but uh, okay. quickly tell us uh, a few highlights of next week. Uh, highlights of next week. Uh, Tuesday is the Funniest Stand-Up Contest at Kaylee's Irish Pub, which probably won't find the funniest stand-up, but it's there. And, of course, Buck Nasty, which right, we already which we talked about. Show. Yep. And so if you don't mind the occasional C word, that's the show <laughs> for N-word, you. Or N-word, or F-word, or S-word. <laughs> yeah, or the, as Z-word. you said, the alphabet bombs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, well, thanks uh, Thanks for giving us that scoop. Yeah, and thanks for having me. to uh, more hints about this mystery, mystery place yep. next week. Okay, well, uh, that is the end of our show. I'd like to say thanks to Dave here, as well as uh, Nick P., uh, Jeannie, Anna, and Simon, all who help make this show possible for you. Uh, next week, uh, as I said, we're working on getting the British Columbians on the show as well. We're going to have uh, an interview about uh, a show called Identifers. This is an art show happening at UBC, being put on by the uh, visual arts department here. It will be at the Asian Library, and they put together the, put together this show uh, you could say they were inspired by that McLean's article a few weeks ago that uh, was called Too Asian, exploring whether Canadian universities uh, are too Asian. Uh, obviously a very provocative subject, and, uh, but in this case provided inspiration for uh, an entire art exhibition um, of Asian and other students. So, um, so yeah, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, don't forget to check out our, subscribe to our podcast and check out our Twitter feed. That's all at citr.ca right now. Uh, Discorder Radio is next. And, of course, you are listening to CITR 101.9 FM. See you next week.